Money, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. You're about to listen to youth produce content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin City social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment, leadership, and media production. You're listening to Youth Soup, the podcast that adds some youth to your soup. That was so good. Yay. Okay, welcome to episode five called Race and Class here with Youth Soup. Today, um, I'm Rena. Um, and I'm JC. Hello, I'm Gloria. I'm Clara. I'm Sebastian. And today we're going to be, as I mentioned, talking about race and class and just our personal experiences that we've had um, with the two and also just where they intersect and just seeing like where the conversation flows because I think this is a topic that we're all like kind of interested in and is something that definitely needs to be talked about. So I guess should we just go straight into a question? Yeah. Do you have one or do you um, want me to read? I have one but I think it's better for like a little bit later. Okay. So. so I just feel like talking about our experiences first off is like a good way to start talking about this. So just how race and class intersected in your life experiences. You can focus in on one or on both, up to anyone. Oh boy, I, th- I should have thought of this before. <laughs> um, okay, I can start, but if anyone thinks of like a form thought, like a fully formed thought, please go, because this is not entirely fully formed. But I would say the like experience of being like like lower income and like poor and like at times homeless like has definitely been um I see borderline homeless yeah um I'll explain that but um has definitely been like those situations have been and how we like how my family has functioned in those situations has been like um definitely improved i guess by the fact that we are white and like um at the time that we were like homeless technically um it was really it was like very i don't know we were very lucky that something happened like something um people were like their daughter had just moved out of their house and they're like this older couple and they had a giant house and they were like you know it was it just worked out really well and because we had um like a friend who a friend of a friend or whatever um and like certain things that we had access to weren't necessarily because we were white, but I don't 
fully know that that would have happened if we weren't, if that makes sense. Like, um, there was some, like, I don't know, there's a lot of things that we were able to do that um, I think, given the, like, um, at the time, how people, wait, I'm gonna, I'm losing my train of thought, but I think that my experience being a poor person, I guess, um, definitely was, I don't know, improved by my whiteness and by the privilege I have and the privilege that my family has. So that's how I see them intersect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of understand what you mean there. Not to the same extent, but like I'm white and as a kid I lived in apartment buildings and then eventually when I was about six, my parents saved up enough that we moved into like a small house in a suburb and that's like the house we've been in since. And like, I definitely think that one of the things that made that easier was like our race. And like, my dad never got a degree. Like, he doesn't have a college degree, but he's still able to work like a pretty, um, a pretty comfortable job, just because of like the experience and the jobs he's been able to get in the past. And I also think that that probably his race has a bit to do with that, because also like IT is a pretty like white dominated field. So, like, I definitely think, not to the same extent, but there's a bit of, like, something to say for, like, class mobility and race. That makes me think about, I think for me, like, growing up and realizing, like, the differences that in class that people have, I noticed because of housing. Um, like, my family, we've been low income. Like, my parents themselves are immigrants um, from Ecuador. So, like, their options of finding jobs is very, very limited. And the pay, I mean, you can kind of guess. But, like, we've always lived in an apartment since being here. And, like, that's all I know. And, like, growing up, the apartment building that I live in, everyone is Latino, which is, like, me and my neighbors, we, like, find it really funny. We're like, oh, we all like are the same. But I think the school that I went to for elementary school really made me realize like the differences between class and race, like the connection between the two, because the elementary school that I went to was in a predominantly like white upper middle class area in Minneapolis. And just seeing like how big the houses were and like the difference and just like the layouts and like what stores were there. I was like, hmm, there's a, there's a difference here. Why is it where I live, it looks like this versus where these people live, it looks like that. Um, also, just quick, so can you, I guess, define class mobility? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so class mobility is like um, moving between um, financial classes, like the ability to go from rich to poor or poor to rich. Like, obviously, everyone knows it's easy to go from rich to poor. Anyone can lose their money but the ability to go from poor to rich is much harder. Mm -hmm. And a lot of factors can play into that, like your class, what, what you know, where you're starting from, because a rich person be, can become richer much easier than a poor person can become richer. And also your race, um, you know, where you are, there, there are a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. But yeah, class mobility is just, you know, moving between classes. 
Yeah, so um, for me, I feel like nowadays, um, like low income families and people are getting like the assistance that they need. Um, maybe not enough, but like we're starting to see that more. But for me, like when you were talking, JC, I was just remembering, like, I was just thinking about like my own experiences and like one of the main things that, um, that race and like class um, kind of connects with me is like housing as well. Because like when I was um, younger, like me and my family, we were living in an apartment and that was also when I was like going to school in Roseville. And you know, like being in Roseville is like predominantly white. And I would go over to like my friend's house sometimes and like they would live in like, you know, these like really nice houses, you know, like in the suburbs. And you know, I'm just like, I can't even bring anyone to my house, you know, cause it's like, it's just this like small apartment. Um, but, uh, you know, we saved up money and we did move into um, the east side in a really good house right now, and that's where we are. And, but it's still like, you know, since the east side is like, you know, predominantly people of color, um, not, a, some people may argue with this, but it's probably not a good reputable place, you know, which is why I feel like, you know, a lot of um, that, uh, this is word called, like, I don't know if redlining is the word, but it's a lot of like that redlining continuing, you know, we still see that, you know, different classes are, they're separated depending on, you know, your income. So, um, when I was younger, you know, I really did used to think about that, but you know, that's just like, yeah. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I have been like structuring my paragraph in my head this entire time. It just completely dissipated. Um, that is real. But yeah, like what JC said, like growing up, like surrounded by people of your own like race, ethnicity, like culturally it's great because it's like, wow, you're just surrounded by people who understand how you're living. But when you take a step back and look at it, like, from an outside view, it's very sad. It's like, why are we all being grouped here when some of us are making an active effort to get out of this very like unlivable lifestyle that we're having to live? Like my mother had to work so hard just so that we would not go homeless. Like to the point where, <laughs> oh my God, this is so depressing, but like, <laughs> People would be like, what was your favorite like childhood food? Like, what did you enjoy eating as a child? And I'm like, how do I tell you that I didn't really eat a lot? <laughs> like, I literally had to like not eat just so that my mother could like sustain having a roof over our family's heads because starving is bad, but like being on the street is horrid. And I give props to people who were able to make it out of that because like, I don't even know what that's like. But like the fact that you have to, <laughs> like negate basic human needs just to keep a roof over your head and then second of all it's public housing it's not a good place to live yeah. the houses are literally like eroding <laughs> as you're living inside of them and it's a bunch of strong hard-working people like my mother and we're all in this little community that majority of us don't deserve to be in because they're literally working their butt off for like 
the most unlivable wage, and it is wild how race ties into that. Why? Why is it so much harder to live just because you are not white? And then you get to white people. I can't speak for white people who live the life that I live. Obviously, I'm not white, but it's like, I know that being white does automatically give you a systematic privilege, but I seriously empathize with people, like everyone who knows my situation, because while it does tie into some tiny amount of privilege, I don't feel like it's a lot of allotted privilege, because I know of several white people who have gone through exactly what I've gone through. So I empathize. I acknowledge the systematic privilege, but I also empathize. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did I just do Black Savior? Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? You did good. You did good. Okay. Um, also, just like, I'm trying to like, I don't know. I think about this too much, but if anyone um, doesn't know, like, I just look up the definition of redlining because I don't know how to explain it in like simple words. Um, this is from Google. Oh wait, can you say that? I don't know. We can get sued by Google. I could have given a definition, but it gave years. Okay. Um, it says, in the United States, redlining is a discriminatory practice in which services are withheld from potential customers who reside in neighborhoods classified as hazardous, quote unquote hazardous, to investment. These neighborhoods have significant numbers of racial and ethnic minorities and low-income residents. That didn't help. Um, Basically, redlining is when banks don't give loans to black people. Oh. Yeah, that's no. a, that's a no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's really sad. That's a much better way to explain it. And that's yeah. the wow. quickest way to put it, but it entails basically every form of that from, you know, when we built highways in the 50s, put all the, you know, colored people in hoods, Mondo. didn't let them out Mondo. of the hoods. You know, the reason people couldn't get out of hoods is because of redlining. The reason that after we built the highways and put them in hoods, the reason they stayed there through the 70s, 80s, 90s, that's all redlining. That's the banks basically saying no anytime anyone even had enough money, they would still just be like, no, we don't care, take your money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a really like, like my entire history class last year, I think, or last time, I don't remember, last year, I think, um, was about redlining and um, about, like, specifically in the Twin Cities, um, because there's, like, a very, very large history of it. And also, um, in Minneapolis, there's, like, a, there's a bunch of people who were working on, like, this, like, big log, basically, of, like, deeds to houses, and, like, it was very, very complex with a lot of numbers but um uh i don't remember all the details of this um this was a year ago um but there was in minneapolis there was this family who um owned this black family who owned a house in like i think whittier mm -hmm. um which is like a really rich neighborhood and i would say it's really rich i would or like like Whittier, like Which, like Calhoun, like around oh, like Calhoun. Oh, okay, okay, because, okay, Whittier isn't like, I would say, I would argue that Whittier now, it's like, very, there's a lot of apartments there now. That's true. Um, I guess this is like specifically on Lake Calhoun, which the, there's like big, huge houses mm -hmm. on Lake Calhoun. Um, uh, and 
like there was so many pissed off white people that like there was like a like a bunch of like angry white people stood outside this family's house for like a very long time threatened to like burn it down threatened to like do I feel like my history teacher is gonna listen to this and be like you got this all wrong but um and uh and like this the the like like white people just didn't like did not want to live where black people were and in the like 40s or something I don't know when but then that kind of like set off this thing called white flight which is where like a um an area would be like financially thriving or whatever and it'd be this like ideal family and they'd be like you know pretty well off not necessarily rich but um and then as soon as um black people and indigenous people and anyone who's literally not white moved in and like and then as soon as that would happen all white people left all the businesses like people wouldn't didn't want to have businesses there didn't want to have all this stuff there and it would just like and then immediately those those same exact neighborhoods would be like would become considered like poor neighborhoods or like the ghetto and like it would just like continue in like a little map and you can like there's a map somewhere of this of this happening and it's like crazy like it went like through the entirety of the United States um yeah and to add on to like white flight um I feel like a classic example of that is like the north end which is where like my school is um right now it's like predominantly like Asian Americans um because like I did a paper about this last year and basically, um, you know, white people, they were dominating that area. Um, but then when um, Chinese immigrants, they would like migrate over there, um, you know, the white people left, hence white flight. And the, the, financial, the financial st stability of uh, the North End dropped, you know, and it became like a low income, quote unquote, you know, ghetto, impoverished um, area. And um, I believe there's a documentary that discusses more about like racial discrimination in housing called um, The Jim Crow of the North by uh, PBS. If um, anyone wants to go check it out, it discusses like a lot about the redlining and, you know, discrimination and housing on like black Americans and uh, other people of color in the Twin Cities um, in the history of Minnesota. I would like to add on, like, I think most people in St. Paul or like in the Twin Cities, like, I feel like the most famous example is Rondo. Mm -hmm. And there's like so much, like, there's two movies or like films like produced by people of Rondo. Mm -hmm. And I think those give like, a lot of insight as to like like the emotional and just like the the long lasting effects that redlining has and highway policies had on these communities so 
people want to check those out. Yeah, I will find the titles right now. <laughs> um, but there's like a couple books and um, also just like a lot of people just know a lot about it. Okay, maybe not a ton of people, but like I think a significant amount of people know um, about what happened in some sense. Um, why can't I find this? Um, I remember the, the titles of the, the films. Okay. Um, they're called Rooted in Rondo and then Rondo Beyond the Pavement. Yeah. Um, and I, what am I saying? Okay. Um, like, if anyone is listening who, I don't know, doesn't live in the Twin Cities or whatever, Rondo is, was this, like, really, like, successful, like, thriving, thriving like, <laughs> um, uh, like, predominantly black and indigenous and brown, like, neighborhood in St. Paul, like, I don't know what. Like, back in the 50s, yeah. 40s, 40s to 60s, maybe? Um, and then Highway 94 was, like, the proposal to build the highway happened, and and what usually happens when people are trying to build a highway is that um, they uh, there's a lot of pushback from like rich white like homeowners um, to build it in that in their neighborhoods through their neighborhoods and those rich white landowners have a lot of power and can be like know and can like veto things or whatever and have like a lot of I don't know financial power over like company like construction companies and then um and then in neighborhoods like Rondo like where like yeah there's a lot of like successful people who are like booming businesses mm -hmm. um like there wasn't as much like I guess pat like like, it's just like, just, they no, didn't they see the, the value yeah. in this community. Like, yeah. even though they they were literally, like, they were so successful. And it was, like, people who lived in Rondo describe it as, like, really peaceful and, like, fun. Like, the community was really strong. It was not, quote, unquote, like, a bad place. Mm -hmm. And then, so I-94 ended up being built through Rondo. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so if you want to learn more about that, um, there's a lot of documentaries, but um, I live in Rondo. Not to, like, dox myself, but, um, uh, and when I read, when, like, we watched a documentary in my class, and I was like, this does not, this is not at all like what it is now. And, and it's still continuing, the exploitation of the, these neighborhoods are still continuing, like, buildings being like empty lots and buildings being turned into like high-rise apartments that no one in this neighborhood will ever be able to afford and I'm like why why does this keep happening like there's big apartment buildings that have sat empty and they're building more of them like that doesn't make sense and instead of like housing homeless people they're not gonna do that mm -hmm. Just like, hmm, seems like I guess uh, to go off of that, just like thinking about one of the questions that we talked about in preparation for this was just like 
class mobility, like who is able to achieve it? Like, is it easier or harder to, you know, go from poor to rich now versus back then? And just thinking about like, what, what is the easiest way for people to, to achieve class mobility? I'm just like, housing is such like the number one answer to me. Cause like, as soon as you have a house or, or a homeowner, like, that is wealth that you that is able to stick with your family and you know go to future generations mm-hmm. and generational wealth which is just like in your family like if you own a house and right your children or grandchildren whoever they have that house that property like whatever wealth is associated with that yeah. and that they're able to use that to like further themselves mm-hmm. further get rich or whatever and I just wish that, you know, owning a house or just like having a stable home wasn't as difficult as it was or, you know, as it is Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. And, um, wait, does someone else want to talk? Okay. I was going to just say, um, like, like what JC said about generational wealth, um, like, I guess inheritance from like past generations and whatever and I guess if you like follow that like the inheritance or like the lack thereof of like I'm not explaining this um like the root I guess of generational wealth or a lack of generational wealth is at least in the United States is slavery like largely I mean, there's probably, there's definitely other, like, Mm -hmm. things that impacted it, but, um, I think slavery was, like, a really big proponent, I guess, or determining factor on whether, on who could build generational wealth, and who could own land, and who could get stable jobs, and who, like, even had the, like, ability to open a bank account, and, like, invest money in their children, their grandchildren, and and then on the opposite side, it's like who were or who was like profiting off of people's labor, who was like profiting off of people's existence and their death and their like life, da 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 da. That's there's a lot of wealth that could be built off that, or that that has been built off of that. That is the a like a big reason that white Americans have more collective generational wealth. I don't know if that's, I don't know, statistics or whatever, I don't know that, but um, yeah, there's more often than not, um, I guess, in my noticings, whatever, there's more generational wealth and more ability to build generational wealth in white families than anyone else in America. Yeah, and that, I think, ties back around to redlining and how redlining stopped families from building wealth for a long time. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that is so much hate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just mystified. No, this country, number one hater Like, so entitled to people's literal living just because they're not your skin color. Get a life. <laughs> Nothing else to do with their life, and it's like, hmm. It's like, oh, just you're not pearly. Mm-hmm. Should we do a final? Because we have like three, yeah. three or five minutes left. Oh wow, that went quick. But 
Is there a question that people have in mind at the top of their head that they want to like close out with or? Um, how do I even phrase this? Okay, how about, while I'm thinking about this, we all go around and say like <laughs> our final thoughts and then I'll think about how to word the sentence. Mm -hmm. Does that sound okay? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I guess, I don't know, just like talking about the things that came up today, it made me think about like when I would drive from school to home, I would get off the 35W and as I'm about to turn to like my street, um, there's like the bridge of the highway and there's a bunch of homeless people that were forced out of, I forgot where, where they were at originally, but you know, like the police and like, this is near north. Um, I think so. Yeah, you know, they got pushed away and a lot of them like settled down in underneath that highway bridge. And like, I would just see them and like, which each day, like more and more people would move. And I would just like see the community and that they had like the moments that they shared and how tight knit they were. And then one day, like a couple, a couple, I would say like two months ago, no, a month ago. Um, when I was driving, I, they were all gone and there was like those cement blocks put on the sidewalks so that no one could like walk through them. Ugh. And it's just like, it was just so heartbreaking and sad and just really made me I'm just like, this is our reality. And this is the reality of so many people and it's really upsetting. And I just wish people, I mean, it's really sad to see that, that type of stuff, but once you do, I think it really sticks with you and it motivates you to do something. And I hope that people are motivated to do something in some sort of way. Well, I mean, all I really have to say is that um, the events that happened at Rondo were, you know, very unfortunate. Um, I feel like although, like, the highway did, you know, benefit a lot of people, um, it did, like, cause a lot of, like, distraught to a lot of, like, those, like, low-income families, like, mm -hmm. a lot of those, like, black families. Um, and... You know, although, like, I don't really have, like, too much experiences with, like, race and class, um, but I just, you know, want listeners and everyone to know that, like, that does exist within um, different people. And um, I'll try to say more if I can, but for now, um, that's just what I have to say. Um, my closing, <coughs> my closing thought, I know race is very prominent worldwide still, but I guess now that people are like pushing back, like accumulating pride, no longer like being ashamed to not be the like old Hollywood beauty standard norm or whatever, white pe people in power are just looking for a way to kick the lower class down and stay in power. Like they don't even really they're not even discriminated about it anymore just if you do not have the financial power that we hold you are nothing and we're just gonna keep kicking you so we can stay up here love the hierarchy and um 
I don't know, back to the like Rondo community for a sec. I think it's cool. There's a project right now called Reconnect Rondo that's like working to rebuild the Rondo community. So I just figured it's worth mentioning that. Yeah, like there is, there is things, there is people who are like working to rebuild um, and like that like perfectly, I guess ties into the question I was gonna like, propose, I guess, is like how, how do we, how like how do we like rebuild what has been like taken and like how do we do that in a way that like doesn't i guess continue to exploit people <laughs> because that's something that like has repeated itself again and again in the US and like everywhere else um so this is just something to think about, I guess, like, I haven't thought about this nearly enough, but like, how, how can we rebuild and redistribute wealth? And also, what does wealth really mean to, um, to us individually and like to, you know, the people as a whole? Um, but yeah, so that's just like a question, I guess, to reflect on, but to answer the other question, <laughs> um, I guess, um, I guess connecting back to what JC said about, um, like evicting homeless people from encampments in the Twin Cities. If, even if you're not in the Twin Cities, I can guarantee you this happens where you live. And I, I guess, it's hard to know what to do um, because oftentimes these like evictions are um, done by police and they're very brutal. I have to, you have to, like, I have to have, like, I have to believe that it can be, like, stopped, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to yeah. think about I mean, that. Even if, you know, even if, like, those that are in high positions of power, like, aren't contributing or, like, I feel like at this point it's it's hard to trust them. Oh and, yeah, you know? it's impossible. Yeah, it's, and like yeah. my mentality is just like it'll never happen, and it's really like, you know, some people might think like that's a really pessimistic way mm -hmm. of thinking, but like I'm like that's just the reality. Yeah. But I think what gives me hope at least is just like people that are within the communities, like mutual aid, and mutual yeah. aid is just like people of those of these communities that are being effective, just helping out one another, mm -hmm. and I think that's really my source of hope yeah mutual aid will save us all the Literally. government will not <laughs> like what i meant by that is that i have I, I do not have any faith in like people in power you know ending classism or whatever or like ending the abuse of poor people and whatever and the exploitation i but i do have i do have you know i believe that the people in community with one another and like build a community and um, you know, joining mutual aid circles, da, da da da, doing whatever we can as, you know, people who are in power can, yeah, that is what I believe can do something. So, yeah. Yeah. So, that was our episode. That was our time today. I just want to thank everyone for like contributing or like just saying whatever was on their mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that we were able to go more like specific and talk about our communities yeah just twin cities but yeah
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. Learn more about Listen Up Youth Radio, including our peer-to-peer educational workshops in media production and social media marketing services at www.listenupyouth.org. Check out past broadcasts of YouthSoup on a live podcast app now available on iOS and coming soon to Android. This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council. Thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.